the cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. Tamara was too busy for love. I don't need to be in a relationship because I have all these other things that I'm doing on my to-do list. She never quite fit in. People in Colorado are incredibly friendly and kind. They love going on hikes and going skiing and they love the mountains. And, and I, I have no interest in any of that. It wasn't Tamara who eluded love, but love that eluded her. I have always been a huge romantic. I mean, who doesn't like happy endings? There is always this very hopeful, optimistic, tiny little speck inside of me that is like, you could have these things. Sometimes happy endings don't look like they do in the movies. That's right. You're in a rom-com. Tamara's rom-com brought to you by Angelina Chapin. Can I ask you to introduce yourself, Angie? Yes, I'm a senior writer at The Cut. And uh, how did you find this story of Tamara? Well, I was doing some reporting about people dating during quarantine. And Tamara just struck me as the classic rom-com character. She never made time for love. She's really consumed with work. You know, she has a job she loves. She is in theater. And that was really the focus of her entire world. You know, I am a first-generation American. You know, we grew up with this sense that we would go to college, we would work hard. And so I really took that to heart and I built a career. And then it all got torn apart and shaken up. Part of the reason that Tamara was able to focus so intensely on her work and not her dating life is that she had a really special relationship with her mother. Her mother was her best friend, was her source of emotional support, just someone she could go to to talk about everything. So it was really devastating when she got cancer and passed away a few years ago. I realized that she had been my personal life. Like she had been my partner and the most important person in my in my world. Suddenly, like the world was very, very lonely and dark. So Tamara's sitting in this loneliness and she realizes she needs to find that unconditional love and support again, but this time in a partner. And that is where our story begins. Tamara is ready to fall in love with a move to the city of romantic comedies. New York. Which, I don't know, I, my single friends in New York say dating here is horrible. But if you're looking for introverted misanthropes, like, welcome to the place, this is the spot. Tamara knew somewhere in this city was her someone. So she decided to get back in the game and get serious. And then, COVID-19. <laughs> yes. Yeah, COVID is a starring character. Ugh. Suddenly, the world was turned upside down. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I will make my to-do list. I will be practical about this, as I always am. And this is going to be a really good time for me to swipe through the apps and maybe set up a few FaceTime dates with people and do pre-screeners, essentially. And that's how she met Frank. Okay, so his lead photo is just a really cute picture of him, like with a big cheesy smile. There's a picture of him doing stand-up comedy, which I didn't hold against him. 
And so she takes the lead, which is very Tamara and a theme throughout her dating life, and just starts chatting with him. And very quickly is like, all right, let's let's go on a FaceTime date. And it just flowed naturally. Like, I think the reason that I can't remember what we talked about is because, like, somehow I looked at the clock and it had been three hours later. And mm. it just happened. And I think the reason we stopped talking is because, like, my iPad was going to die. That's like the quarantine equivalent of, like, shutting the bar down, you know? Like, yeah, closing exactly. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Through their screens, they began to look in to their hearts. They really went past the basics and realized that not only had her mother died a few years ago, his mother had died 10 years ago. Like they got into some deep family shit. Like it went really like date five territory in terms of what they talked about. You're just a face on a screen and you got to go deep. I'm pretty sure that it was our third date where we decided to go through all of the 36 questions that lead to love. Oh, do you know that? Yeah, the one where you have to like ask really intense questions to each other and then stare into each other's eyes in silence for four minutes. Four whole minutes. Jeez, that's so intense. You're right. There is intensity to it. But I think her choice to do the 36 questions makes a lot more sense when you know her dating history. My entire dating history has been settling for whatever attention I could get, essentially which sounds so pathetic to say that out loud, but who among us (laughs) has not been there? And I guess I just always thought when I saw my friends who had relationships, I just kind of thought like, well, that's not for me. Like, that's not going to happen for me. And I don't totally know why. I mean, I don't know. I know some reasons why. I think I will say that I am a fat woman. Um, And I also grew up in Los Angeles, which is a challenging place to grow up if you are not a certain kind of beautiful. It it was this weird parallel track of being, I really like myself and I look in a mirror and I think that I'm beautiful. And yet I know that my perception of myself is not the same as society's perception of me. And trying to square those things has been a lifelong process. Oh man, I relate to that. So, so much. I just love the strength with which she expresses it. Just like, I'm confident. Why doesn't everyone else fucking get it? I'm just saying the 36 questions is a blunt <laughs> object. That is a, I get it. That is a, that is a tool. That is a multi-tool. <laughs> but Frank is going with it. Frank loves the 36 questions. It does not freak him out. And then they end up doing something even more extra on FaceTime. We had a special date for our one month whatever anniversary. I don't know. It feels oh stupid God. to say anniversary. Oh, that's so, <laughs> that's such a sweet, like, lesbian thing to do. It's so. <laughs> I wore a dress and, like, did my makeup up a notch, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he wore a suit. And they both lit candles without telling each other. They logged on to the FaceTime and both had, like, tables set up with candles, which I think is wild towards the end of the night where like my candle had almost burnt out I got really sad and I think it was like this like the first moment where I was like oh this sucks 
Like this has gone from being like a novelty and like a fun, cute way to pass the time mm-hmm. to actually being like, fuck, I like this person and who knows when I'm ever going to see them. Yeah. And that actually sucks. Right. It sucks. She's really gone from having like a great experience getting to know this person to feeling really devastated that she has no idea when they're actually going to see each other and starting to panic that their intellectual mental connection is getting so far ahead of anything physical that like how weird is it going to be if they don't see each other for another three months and like what is her comfort level with what's going on with covid like is this when no one's leaving the house at all Yes. And she's among the hardcore people who are really not leaving at all, even for a walk around the block. I have not gone anywhere, like not even to the grocery store. I've not left my apartment since March 12th. I've only walked outside to put trash on the curb or to like grab my mail, but (laughs) I've had all my groceries delivered. My laundry gets sent out. So even if they wanted to say, okay, let's, let's do it. Let's see each other. They were both really strictly following the rules and she had roommates. So They lived in completely different boroughs. She was in Brooklyn. He was in Harlem. So it might as well be a different city. They don't have cars. They didn't want to take public transport. Like, this is like the height of fear-mongering of COVID in New York. Tamara is getting quite restless. It's been two months, a lot of FaceTime dates, and she really wants to meet in person. I was like, would you run away with me for like a few weeks and like quarantine together? And he was like, honestly, at this point, why not? And with that, Tamara and Frank take a bold leap. They set up a first date like no other. A first date that would have to last... 14 days. They decide to find an apartment that is between both of theirs, that is neutral ground. They decide that they're going to quarantine 14 days together, pretty much no matter what. And so how does it go? It goes a lot of ways, I would say. Oh, shit. It goes goes one (laughs) way and then it goes the other way. I turn to my roommate and I just say, I don't want to do this anymore. Coming soon, Love on Lockdown. Tamara and Frank's 14-day date in quarantine. After these messages. So, Tamara and Frank are finally going to meet. Yes. She's pretty damn nervous. So I'm waiting for him to arrive, and I'm doing last-minute little things like making sure that I've packed all my bags of tea and remembering that I need to bring Clorox wipes and all that, all that, you know, triple checking that you do before you're about to go away for a while. They orchestrated this whole operation that involves a friend picking up Frank from his apartment, chaperoning him to Tamara's apartment, and then bringing them both (gasps) to a new apartment where they're going to stay for oh two Oh my weeks. God, it's like a coachman. It's like a, it's like a little fairy tale. I'm, I'm feeling confident, to be perfectly honest. I've distracted myself to confidence. Oh, that's him. That's Frank. That's our man. <laughs> he really exists outside the internet. I'm in the car. I've got a cooler filled with like frozen foods, like meats and such. And I'm still forgetting my toothbrush, 
my toothpaste, deodorant, and all that. And then he texts me that he is outside. So I walk downstairs and I live on the third floor of a third floor walk up. And so the stairs zigzag a bit. So I don't see him until I'm down a couple landings. He slowly starts to appear. And at that point where I can see his waist down and I know that he exists and he is standing there in my physical space, I stop. I just start laughing anxiously and I kind of toss my head back and I just think, oh my gosh, this is about to happen. (laughs) And he starts laughing Uh and I take a deep breath and I just walk down the rest of the way and I laughed and I gave him a kiss. Where did you kiss him? I mean, on the mouth. (laughs) We're not messing around here. We're about to live together for two weeks. Oh my God, so bold. I love it. Yes, I love it too. They kiss. It's like this moment of them being high school kids just coming together for the first time. But things start to change in the car for Frank. His giddiness turns into sort of a bad nervousness and the feeling just starts to build. The inner dialogue just isn't shutting up. I've been alone, not interacting with any humans in a way that I'm able to have any physical contact, not not a handshake, not even an elbow bump, you know? Yeah. And finally, I have it. Okay, this is real. Now I have to take responsibility for all this. There's a pressure to not screw it up. Yeah, exactly. I think the dissonance of how close they'd gotten mentally and how they'd never experienced each other in person was like a very wide gulf for them to have to cross. And he also just was quiet and staring a lot and just kind of cocooned in his little corner of the couch. Yeah, I'm sitting on the couch and that's when the thoughts are percolating and mutating, let's say, because it's a, it's, a, it's a vacuum. There, nothing good happens in a vacuum. Oh my God, but I can't imagine being, you know, trapped in an apartment with that feeling. Now this has almost turned into Life of Pi where she's stranded on the boat with a tiger. (laughs) Just like, what is, what do I make of this other creature living here with me that I feel so strongly towards? I mean, did they have sex? So first night we had sex for the first time. First, first time meeting. Did you feel like there was a, like a lot of electricity between the two of you, or was it more a different kind of physical relationship? Definitely different. In what way? And I, it, it was more subdued, like very subdued. And I think that's partly why I was confused and grappling with the reality of everything. So the fact that they didn't have this electricity, you know, Frank was clearly a little bit worried about that. But Tamara really saw it as a strength to their relationship. She had been with men before who she had that intense attraction to, and the relationships had been awful. And sort of the sparks obscured anything real. Mm -hmm. And this is what she said to her friends in a video while she was in quarantine with Frank. Frank feels like pajamas, like we are so comfortable and I have no anxiety and it just feels easy. Like it feels so easy and great. This is where I relate to him a lot. I've been having this question over and over again, like is love something that just feels 
feels comfortable, feels like an old set of pajamas, or does it, should it light a fire in you? Should it feel like all the love songs say, or is that unhealthy? I understand his hesitancy and I'm envious of her certainty. That's really beautiful that she knew. It is, but it's also to your point, it's like, does it have to be one or the other? Like, can we have our old pajamas? Can we have our sexy negligee in one person? Well, in time, every sexy negligee becomes old pajamas. <laughs> it's true. It tatters, it fades, <laughs> it's like becomes see-through. You know, it gets into that Esther Perel sort of argument that you can't expect. It's unfair to ask anyone to be everything for you, especially now during COVID when your partner is literally your source of entertainment and solace. So I don't know. I don't know what kind of expectations are correct for love, but it's different person to person. And I guess that that explains like the fissure between Tamara and Frank. I don't remember the exact day, but I I think we really are about a weekend and we're watching TV in bed and I'm just laying on his chest and I can feel that the words are like in the back of my throat and I want to say them so badly. I want to be your girlfriend, but I'm also so terrified and I just can't, I cannot say them. I'm literally crying into my pillow and just trying to keep my breathing steady so that he can't hear that I'm actually incredibly stressed out because I just so deeply don't want to be rejected. And I'm so scared that he could say he doesn't feel the same way. I mean, that's the loneliest kind of alone is is being alone with someone else who you've you've got so much hope for. But on the other hand, they had agreed to be there for 14 days. Why couldn't she just wait until the end of this trial period? Sure, yeah. I mean, she was very decisive. She yeah. knew what she wanted, but it's like normal to not within the first few days of meeting someone that you've been dating exclusively over FaceTime to know what you think. Exactly. And to have your mind made up. Like, I think that's totally fair. And I'm such a stan for Tamara that I'm like her defensive best friend. Like, <laughs> Frank, don't, Frank, don't fuck it up. Like, Tamara's a queen. But I have to remind myself that like, Yes. I mean, what she was asking for was sort of a tall order. I'm like wildly intimidated by Tamara, <laughs> even though I don't know her at all. I'm just like, whoa, I, damn, you know what you want. But okay. How long does she sit in that horrible, deeply lonely feeling? Not long. I mean, this is Tamara we're talking about after all. She's super straightforward and knows what she wants. So the next day she tells him, I know I was quiet last night. The truth is. I was really, really scared to bring this up, but I feel like I know everything I need to know to know that I want to be in a relationship with you. And he says something along the lines of, I'm just not there yet. I know we've been talking for two months, but we only just met a week ago. And this is all still, you know, for me, it's very new. To me, that felt a little devastating in that moment. I go into a spiral in my own head of, oh my gosh, if he doesn't know by now, then is he ever going to know? Where is all your anger and hurt going? When you oh, girl, that? that anger comes out the next day. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what does she do? So they, they're playing a game that night, some card game that she's a big fan of. And 
she just starts being really snappy and competitive, super competitive towards Frank. And he hasn't seen this side of her. And he's just like, I don't like this. I don't like this one bit. Like, who are you? And what did you do with Tamara? I tell him actually, hey, can we stop setting up the game for a moment? And can we just sit with each other? And it was a fight. I mean, it's like, he's basically saying I'm not ready. She's saying I'm ready. It's like, what's going to happen? It's super vulnerable. And they decide to just sort of take a breath, enjoy what's left of that weekend, and just not talk about it. Really? Yeah. How can they enjoy each other without talking about it? Because he's not saying... I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this relationship. He's just saying, pump the brakes. I mean, it makes sense. It's kind of like how you feel closest to the friends that you have fights with. Like, sure, Mm -hmm. they were able to get that out of the way and then they could just be together in a real way. Yeah. But at the end, the, the topic of commitment came up again. We're sitting on the couch. We're watching something on TV and we start talking about, oh my gosh, won't it be amazing when quarantine is over and we can actually spend time with our friends and and we can meet each other's friends? And I decide to to throw out one tiny little jab. And I just say, yeah, and you'll get to say, this is Tamara, my friend. He laughs and he looks at me with this smirk and he just shakes his head and he says, do you want to put labels on it? And I say, of course I do. You know I do. But I'm, I actually am fine with continuing to wait as long as you need. And he shakes his head and says, oh, I've already been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it since this, you know, since that weekend, this past weekend that was so good and everything has been going so well. I'm ready. I'd be a fool to not just dive in and just be on this ride. Frank's in. Frank is just like, I want this. I know I'm ready to do it. And give me the labels. And as Tamara and Frank embrace, the camera zooms out. Out past their window. Out over the barren sidewalks and empty office towers. Out of sight, in a thousand private worlds, 8.4 million hearts are mending and breaking and fumbling towards each other. And you can hear Tamara and Frank's soft laughter as a string of letters appears across the shadowy skyline. The end. And, you know, everybody everybody lives happily after that. Happily ever after, or that happily for now, we call them in our, in our lingo. Alicia Rye is a contemporary romance writer, fluent in rom-com. My colleague and romance reader Megan Kinane spoke with Rye about how much happily for now one can reasonably expect. What defines a romantic comedy? So there, there is a certain arc, I think, that romantic comedies have. There's the meet-cute. They get to know each other. Shenanigans ensue. There's kind of like a dark moment, you know, where everything kind of feels maybe hopeless or maybe not even that hopeless, just like a little turn of events, and and then there's the resolution. But that narrative arc isn't just a rom-com thing. That is the way we tell stories, even stories we don't think of as rom-coms. I mean, I I think about movies when you talk about Seth Rogen, but The Hangover, I mean, like the guys' rom-coms, those are rom-coms. They're absolutely 100% rom-coms. But 
but we don't really code them as such. Or when we talk about them, we don't feel like we have to whisper them or anything like that. But every piece of media, every book or movie we consume has an element of fantasy in it. James Bond, Fast and the Furious, any murder mystery, any sci-fi book. I mean, come on, those are all escapism to some extent. But it's only when we have escapism that is coded as feminine, like romance or, or young adult, you know, the Twilight Saga, I'll say, or, you know, something like that, where we go, oh, oh, that's, oh, that's escapism. And of all the forms of infectious escapism, romance is arguably the most realistic. People fall in love with other mortals all the time, way more often than they get into street drag races or have to take down international crime rings. Romance itself is kind of a grounded form of fantasy. At the core of romance is a healthy, happy relationship with someone who fits you and who suits you and you fit them. And that's not a fantasy. It's not a fantasy to have high standards for each other or to expect things of each other. It's not high fantasy to respect each other. And it's definitely not a high fantasy, I think, to have a happy ending or a happy for now <laughs> and, and to expect happiness in your life. And especially, I think, for, you know, for women of color, especially, we're not often given happy endings in a lot of media, tr- historically and traditionally. I grew up never seeing anybody look like myself in romance. If Indian Americans were depicted in, in romance, they were usually either a side character or some exotic yoga teacher or something like that. So you internalize it and you say, okay, well, th- maybe this isn't for me. Maybe this isn't something that I can have. And I felt that way. There's a reason I didn't date for a long time because I thought, oh, I'm too big or I'm too, I'm too brown. I'm too dark. I'll wait till the winter when my skin is lighter. I mean, I'll wait, I'll wait till I lose 20 pounds. I'll wait till this or that. And so I do believe that there is an aspect where people say, oh, like whatever, like frivolous, happy endings. That's not reality. And that makes me just so sad. (laughs) It makes me so sad for them. And for their partners, if they have them, because, you know, what are you saying that that we can't be happy? Rye's latest book is called Girl Gone Viral, and it addresses that fallacy, that happiness is a fantasy. There is sort of a recurring uh, phrase that my heroine returns to, and it's that happiness is a radical act. And when I wrote it in there, I didn't intend for this book to come out during quarantine, but that's exactly what happened. And I thought, well, you know what? It's actually kind of perfect because I do feel like I am looking for and appreciating whatever small pockets of happiness I can find right now. And that is what romance is, I think, at the end of the day. It's to refill that little well of hope inside of you that lets you go out and face everything else. And that's what Tamara and Frank found. So it seemed. Right, Angie? So I hadn't actually talked to Tamara in a while, and I decided to call her up just to see how things were going. The last time we spoke with the two of you, you were had left your 14-day quarantine and were dying to know if you're still together or not. Well, we're like two inches apart from each other right now, so I think we're still together. Yeah, we're we're together. No one's forcing us to be here. Coming at you from Brooklyn. 
So because Tamara is our rom-com heroine, I really wanted to know what the final scene in this movie would be. I don't know. Maybe it ends last night, which I found out like yesterday in like the wee hours of the morning that um, like a, a good friend of mine from college died suddenly. And I was just so sad yesterday and I had to take a personal day. And then I just thought like, oh my God, I'm so happy because Frank is planning on being here tonight. And so all we did last night was watch the Dodgers play the Houston Astros and Frank just hugged me and we didn't like have to talk about it, but just like leaning into someone and being quiet and like still with someone when I'm not at my best, having the safety to do that is absolutely what I was looking for. And I think it could just end quietly with that. Yeah. Even some comedies end like that. And it's because it's, it's true. This episode was produced by Megan Kinane with Angelina Chapin, edited by B.A. Parker and Avery Truffleman, engineered and scored by Gautam Shrikashan, original music by Brandon McFarland. Special thanks to Kareen Zakadinas, Sangeeta Singh Kurtz, and Pat Masidi Miller. Stella Bugby and Nishat Kurwa are the Cut's executive producers. The Cut is made possible by the team at New York Magazine. Subscribe today to support their work at thecut.com slash subscribe. And I'm... <clears throat> I'm Isaac Kaplan-Wolner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>